Welcome to the Sam Says Podcast. I'm Samantha Oldsfry, the CEO of the Illinois Association of Medicaid Health Plans, also known as IMHIP. In this podcast, we focus on all things surrounding the Illinois Medicaid Managed Care Program. Welcome to the Sam Says Podcast. I'm the Sam and Sam Says, and today I'm happy to welcome back our friend, Pat Shu, Executive Director at the Illinois Critical Access Hospital Network, also known as ICANN, continue, to continue our landscape uh, conversation on the landscape of rural hospitals. Pat, welcome. Thank you, Samantha. I appreciate the opportunity to talk with you again and, and share a little bit what's going on in the rural community, rural hospital communities out there. And um, I thought I would start today and talk about what I think are some of the key issues this year in 2023. You know, and, and some of them carry over from year to year, as you and I talk many times. We think we solve something and it, it's back again, but in a different form. But um I, I don't think rural is all that much different, but there are uniquenesses to our um, programs that make it different. So let me start first with workforce. And, and I think this is all over the, the country, all over the world. You know, this, you know, COVID left us with a, a different workforce. But for rural communities, what's really different is that, um, you know, the higher wages and there's fewer workers. They don't have this pool. You know, if you live in Chicago, you have a little bit bigger pool than you do in Princeton, Illinois, where I live. And so that presents some of a problem. And then competition, you know, and trying to recruit the best of the best. And so, um, you know, some of the smaller hospitals, they don't necessarily have as big of budgets and they may not be able to pay as, as much, but they can also offer some good things if you wanted to live in a rural community. Uh, and, and that's part of workforce is where do you want to live and work? And, and a lot of these rural communities have lovely, great school systems. They have, you know, Walmarts, they have local um, industry, they have, um, you know, some minor transportation. We have, like in Bureau County, we have a, a transportation unit, but we don't have public transportation, so to speak. Like I live in Princeton and I'm, you know, like an hour away from Peoria and uh, an hour and a half from Chicago, but there are some amenities and you can buy a nice home and so forth. But one of the things that we're working on in our rural areas, knowing that we have some struggles, you know, with, with enough people to work is is reaching out to our community colleges and trying to find more um, nursing staff and radiology technicians and so forth. And one thing I think we've been looking just like others is flexible work schedules and childcare. And believe it or not, all, all of us baby boomers are, are looking at retire and um, also really looking at how we recruit. Um, one of our um, big things is our, our hospitals have really put into good scholarship programs. So if you wanted to move out of the city or, or look at rural communities, many of our hospitals have scholarship programs. And so that's really important for your um, folks that you work with. Um, the health plans is to know that we have good workforces and that we're doing our very best in our, our communities so that we can be good. Uh, we can provide good care to the beneficiaries. So workforces is doing, they're doing a lot of scholarship programs. Think out of the box or giving uh, bonuses, not only just to the people coming in, but people that locally that are recruiting them. And so we want the people to come and stay. And um, that's that's probably on our, 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 our top of our list, like other organizations. The other area which really ties into workforce is the hospital medical staff. 
when I was a young nurse a few years ago, um, you know, we had mostly physicians in our in our uh, hospitals and our clinics and so forth, you know, and you you really didn't have that many advanced practice practitioners. You might have had a, an occasional PA or um, a maybe um, a certified nurse midwife, but today our nursing staff um, and medical staff, you know, almost look like they, they've combined in some regards, but it's really been a paradigm shift in the fact that, you know, in a, a small hospital community, you might have two or three family physicians and 10, 12 nurse practitioners and PAs. And so that creates a different chemistry. And so what rural communities have to do is build in uh, relationships with specialty care, support systems for our physicians and our practitioners. The good news is that these practitioners have been able to go out into smaller communities and have clinics and federally qualified healthcare centers and so forth. And so we're really, we're kind of improving access, but the dynamic dynamics is changing. And, um, you know, and with that, you know, you have to support physicians and practitioners differently. Telemedicine is, is good and it provides some support system, but you also still need to see that face-to-face. And uh, we also want to make sure that, you know, we provide the best of care at the right place. The one thing that we haven't um, really looked at is how do we incorporate our mental health and behavioral health teams that are now part of our community care systems in into the medical staff or nursing staff or hospital employees and how do we do that and that's something that we're working with because our communities have really expanded our rural communities to have those services available the other thing i want to emphasize and i'm sure it's a, a challenge not only for your group that you serve the uh, medical health plans and that's all the paperwork you know the, the mm-hmm. challenges of our paperwork and i think that's something that we're going to have to work together um, because it's it's really impacting the workforce and it's impacting patient care and workflow. We just don't have a good process in place, you know. And and we understand the plans. You know, they want to make sure that uh, lab tests are ordered correctly and all that stuff. But in doing that, it's a lot of. Um, paper and and staff time that does that. So I think that's something that I would like to put out there as a challenge that we can can do together and and try to figure out how we can better provide care, the care of the patient, treating and providing lab, offering lab tests and x-rays and things like that have not really changed is how we manage and communicate and try to move the patient through the system efficiently is what we have to really work on. And that's probably been the, the change. There's so many more people involved in the process and So many more diagnostic opportunities, Samantha, which is all good. Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right, Pat. And, you know, we've we've regularly sat down with our provider community and thought, how can we make the system better, right? Like, we don't want to just keep doing things because that's how we did them, you know, before. And, you know, we always take a look at, you know, what are some of our requirements? What are some, you know, things that we've done and where could we standardize? So how could we streamline? You know, one thing we've done, um, you know, with the Medicaid health plans um, and I'm hip is, you know, we have a standardized roster to try to make it easier. So that, that has made a big difference. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, how, and, and we led on that, um, you know, we created it without, um, you know, a mandate and now it is legislatively required, but it, it was in um, operation before that. And I think, you know, how can we look at what's required and make it easier for everyone as opposed to, um, you know, just refuse to review our own 
practices, policies, procedures. And, and what's, I also think, well, what's the end goal? What are we trying to get and why? And once we know that, what's the outcome? Then we can always, you know, take a look at what we're requiring and say, well, does that help us? Or is it just red tape? Or are we making it so cumbersome? And we need to figure out a better way to actually get what we want. Because before, I'll use the standardized roster as an example. You know, before we had the standardized roster, every health plan had their own roster. Oh, it was a nightmare. You know, you know, how would every hospital credentialing program keep up with it? And that's like with the pre-authorization, if we could come standardize some of these requirements, it would be so much easier for the health plans as well as for the, the staff at the clinics and the hospitals. Yeah. Um, and, and reduce and- the, the problems with the providers knowing what they can and can't do without getting affirmation. No, and I think, you know, there are things that we see often that it's like, you know what, we could, you know, I see it from our side, we're getting the wrong type of documentation, we're getting the wrong, you know, we're not getting enough, or we're getting too much. And it's like, okay, can we be a little, you know, can we be more transparent on what we need? Because That's right. the we hospitals or whomever, they don't want to send you stuff you don't need, and they don't want to forget stuff that you do need. Um, so like, can we really say, these are the things we need, you know, this, you know, in the Medicaid side, our plans put out there, we use, you know, this set of criteria, you know, we make it very clear, this is the criteria we use. And maybe we need to make that more prominent so everybody knows where it is. And I can aggregate, you know, a list that says, okay, Aetna uses, you know, MCG and um, Blue Cross uses this, you know, their standard criteria um, based off of medical evidence. And there's only two or three groups that really sort of publish that criteria. But I do think if we just had that, uh, you know, we've done a ton of work on billing as an industry. (laughs) with the providers. And now what we're seeing is, okay, now we got to really start to dive into clinical and clinical is a little trickier because it's less black and white, cut and dry, you know, like it's, it's absolutely. And it's more emotional because, um, you know, everybody, all, every doctor practices a little bit differently. Every hospital practices, you know, like it's, there's just a lot more involved and, you know, it's it should be patient centered, and so obviously, what one patient needs is going to look different than a different, you know, than another patient, and so it is just more complex than put this number in this box. What but... I think you have to add to it, Samantha, that um, there's so much information out on the web, and then mm-hmm. patients, you know, their expectations not only of the health plans but the providers, and so you know that that adds another um, dimension to your your problem you're very adeptly describing (laughs) yes and it's a good call out i mean i know i am a i I am an informed patient when i go to my provider and i i suspect that can at times make their life a little bit more you know like i'm going to advocate for myself i'm going to advocate for my family i'm going to advocate for what i need and um you know, that, that is good for me and my family, but probably means that my provider is going to fill out an extra PA form, or they're going to have to do a few things that if I, that if patients weren't as informed that they might not have to do. And so how do we balance all of this and how do we make sure we're getting what we need, but that we're not making it overly difficult. And I think that's the sweet spot. It's a hard sweet spot. Um, but I think that's what we need to aim for. 
and, and maybe perhaps we, you know, over the next year or two, we have some discussions between provider and payers and, mm-hmm. and if we can come up with some ideas. Another thing I wanted to add, just to take a little different direction, um, and that has to do in our communities and our rural communities that we're looking at is the community health worker in the outpatient and the emergency department setting and, and been exploring some of that uh, with HFS and other groups. Um, and that would help, would that help alleviate some of those um, extra visits and some challenges with pre-authorization. If we had somebody, a worker out that was a connector that would follow up and, and, and do that, which, you know, it's really hard for the physician or the ED nurse or whatever to do that. If we had somebody that could um, provide that, that connection out in the community, you know, would that be of help to the plans and somebody that would be an advocate for the patient, the hospital, and the plans that could kind of combine that together? Is that something, do you think um, it it, it makes sense to um, the community? Yeah, I think that could. I think that there can be, you know, we did years ago, um, pre-COVID, a pilot with the IHA and various hospitals on discharge planning and how do we work together and how do we make sure that the hospitals have the resources they need and we have the, you know, like we, you know, and we're all on the same page. Um, And I think that was, you know, having those open lines of communication and in that model and most of the models, it was the plan that had a staffer that was either embedded in the hospital or, you know, on certain days or they had a regular standing meeting virtually where they could sort of all chat about what does this member need? What do you need as a facility? What do we need as a health plan? And sort of tie all the ends together, right? Like braid the whole screen. And we saw great success with that. And I think there could be some lessons we learned from that and sort of some of your ideas um, to figure out how do we make this better? How do we, what do we, how do we reduce healthcare burnout? How do we reduce frustration on all of our parts? And how, most importantly, how do we serve your patients, our members better? Well, and one of the things that we have seen, you know, uh, ICANN um, has an accountable care organization. You know, we have several of our hospitals that are part of it. And, you know, we get the information from CMS, you know, Medicare about uh, the usages of our our Medicare beneficiaries in our rural communities. And one thing we see is the high cost that our rural areas have for dual eligibles for Medicare and Medicaid Mm -hmm. patients. We are much higher than many other communities of care. And I think it's the resources. So we need a way to figure out how we improve the resource connectivity. And so just like what we're talking about, and, and there's actually, you know, we can show that there's you know, we have a challenge there and what can we do to, to try to uh, eliminate? And that would help the health plans and other groups. And, and could we, you know, connect some dots for our beneficiaries out there that we share in there and so that their lives, but it's, it's these dual eligibles, these, these children that have a lot of special needs and in a rural community, it's a challenge because you have to drive a place and, and so forth. Maybe is that something that we should be looking at together? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I think our dual eligible members and, you know, I think, I think there's what I love about meeting with you and chatting with you is that there are always opportunities for collaboration and, you know, to strengthen the care that, that we all collectively provide. And so, you know, I think 
there's opportunity to streamline administrative efforts, and there's opportunity to connect individuals with resources that are going to better serve them. Um, and I'm excited to do that work with you in 2023. Oh, Pat, as always, thank you. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's always so good to talk to you. Thank you for the opportunity, and it's a pleasure to work with you and your staff. And, you know, we really look forward to what we can can build together and, and serve together. So thank you, and have a good weekend, right? It's almost yes, there. Almost there. To learn more about what I'm Hip is doing and listen to other interesting podcasts like this one, we encourage you to visit our website at imhip.org. And don't forget to like and follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. I'm Samantha Olds Fry, the Sam and Sam says, as always, thank you for joining us. And until next time, be well and stay safe.